Hello, Bulldogs. Thank you for tuning in to Who's Behind the Bulldog, Arvada High School's community interview podcast series. I'm your host and one of the assistant principals at Arvada, Jeremy Jensen. Each week, I'll sit down with someone from our Arvada community, be it staff, students, families, or other community members, to hear their stories. We'll discuss their histories, successes, challenges, learnings, future hopes and dreams, and much more. I hope you find some connections in their stories and hopefully are inspired to take some time to get to know them a bit better as our school year progresses. We have an amazing community here at Arvada, and I hope we can continue to strengthen that despite the challenges that await us in these unknown times. This week's conversation is with Elizabeth Kantner. Kantner is a math teacher who is currently teaching geometry and pre-calc honors. This year, she is also teaching a section of economics in the social studies department. In our conversation, Kantner talks about her time living overseas, both in the Peace Corps teaching multi-level classes in Namibia, as well as living in Germany. She discusses how she is able to get kids comfortable in making mistakes in math without feeling penalized and celebrating multiple approaches to arrive at the correct solution. She also talks about the importance of using our limited amount of time with students this year to its fullest and really take the time to build connections with students since everyone is so different. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Who's Behind the Bulldog. Um, Elizabeth, thank you for joining me today on this beautiful Saturday afternoon. Yeah, oh, you're welcome. How are you? It's nice out. I'm well, how are you? I'm doing well. That's good. Yeah, it's a super nice day. It feels finally like fall is imminent. Yes, although, you know, we've had a good time uh, teasing our, our new hire from down south about <laughs> the weather in Colorado. So the first day it was chilly. She said, so is this it? Is summer over? And we're like, oh, no. <laughs> no, we will have no. like 65, yeah. 70 degrees in January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're like, no, no, you have to have all your clothes out all the time. <laughs> yeah. Be ready for anything. It's an hourly change. It is. And please watch the weather. <laughs> It was like the one thing Coloradans believe in is the weather, like watching the weather on the news, right? Yeah, on my phone, it's like, okay, in the next day, we have four different seasons, so that'll be fun. Right, (laughs) right. Good time. Yeah. Um, Colorado. So, Elizabeth, tell the listeners, like, a little bit about yourself and what brought you into education. Hmm. Um, That's a good question. I, I moved to Colorado in 2007. Um, so I'm not a Colorado native. Um, from where? I, uh, I moved here from Germany. Oh. Prior to Germany, I lived in mm, Namibia, which is in Southern Africa. Prior to that, I lived in Poughkeepsie, New York. Prior to that, I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I have lists. Wow. This, <laughs> Went this to school is, uh... outside of Philadelphia, but originally from the Midwest. Um, so I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, go Go Green Wisconsin. Bay. <laughs> go Pack. Go Badgers. Um, and go Badgers, yes. My dad has a little animal that you throw it on the ground and it goes, go Badgers, and then it <laughs> plays a song. Um, and then we moved a couple of times for my dad's work when I was a kid. So we lived in Milwaukee, we lived outside of Chicago, and then we moved to Cincinnati where I spent 6th through 12th grade. So... Um, and so I've moved around quite a bit. This is the longest I've ever lived anywhere is in Colorado since 2007, which I said, and the longest I've ever lived in a house. So the house I live in now, I bought in December of 2012, I think. Um, and so after living there for about five years, I did get a little, a little itchy. 
my God, I've lived here a long time. <laughs> what am I doing? Um, and I moved to Colorado because my parents moved here like two years prior to me moving here. And um, it just seems like the logical thing to do was to move here um, after that. Yeah, so, and then and I came back to the US because I wanted to go to graduate school and I wanted to become a teacher. I had had some experience teaching in Peace Corps um, and that's why I was living in Namibia in Southern Africa. And um, I really liked that experience. I went to it a little bit later than some people do. A lot of people go straight after college and I didn't feel like I was qualified straight after college, strangely enough. Like I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do anything. So I waited a couple of years and then um, at my last job, I remember distinctly taking the job. I worked as like a social worker for Big Brothers Big Sisters mm -hmm. in Poughkeepsie, New York. And I remember distinctly telling my boss, you've me for two years and then I'm joining Peace Corps. Like I knew that's what I wanted to do. And she was like, okay. And then it really happened. And she was like, you're really doing this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I told you, that's what I'm gonna do. So I did it. And then in Peace Corps, I got to teach and I taught very untraditionally for Peace Corps. Usually you teach junior high or high school, but I ended up teaching in an elementary school. I taught in like a multi-level classroom. I had fourth through seventh graders at some point during those two years, usually two grade levels in one room. Not a lot of students. Um, I think the biggest class I had was 24 kids in there and six of them were one grade level and the rest were the other. So, and I taught English, um, math, of course. Mm -hmm. What else did they wrote me into teaching? Oh, social studies. So that was the last time until this year I taught any social studies. <laughs> and it, but it was social studies from, yeah, economics now. It was social studies from the point of Southern Africa. So, you know, they do it by grade level, just like they do in the U.S. And so sixth grade social studies was, it was just SADC, which is, you know, like the South African region of Africa and so it was just those countries and like the history and geography and whatnot about those countries which was really good for me because I learned a lot um, and then seventh that's grade not the geography you learned in sixth no grade. not at all right <laughs> sixth grade I was in Ohio I learned Ohio geography yeah. like I had to memorize all the rivers it was awful there are a lot of rivers in Ohio and um, <laughs> that was bad and then uh, seventh grade was it was more of a a world kind of social studies, like, but it was looking outward from where you are. So looking from Southern Africa, how does this area of Africa relate to the rest of the world? Um, so in that, in that respect, it was a really good education for me. I had a lot of questions that people could not really answer. Like I still was like, I still don't understand how your government really works. And people were like, yeah, neither do we. <laughs> because it was also a very new country. Um, They've only been independent now for like maybe 25 years. So at the time it was 2000 to 2002 and they'd been independent, I guess, maybe what, 10 years or something at that point. It was around the 90s, I think, that they got their independence. So, you know, they still very were fresh. They were very fresh. They were still filling it out. They still were on their first president um, when I lived there. So it was really it was really interesting. But the thing about teaching, it was really hard. It was a lot of work. Um, I taught in a classroom with essentially a huge blackboard, which was awesome. We had great resources. Like we had a, um, a nonprofit that helped purchase a lot of our school supplies because our students couldn't afford that. And um, so the school 
costs very little for students to go to. All public education costs something in Namibia. It's just a matter of like where you go, right? Um, so ours was very, very minimally priced. So it was good. It was out in the country on a farm. Um, and like I said, we had a nonprofit that really helped sponsor. So our kids always had the books that they needed and the supplies that they needed. But there was, you know, really no electricity. There was no heat or cold, no air conditioning. There were big windows in my classroom. That was good. And yeah, so just everything, you know, by hand and with some books. And but again, I felt very lucky because every kid had a desk and a place to sit and they had what they needed. And you know, so we forged forward together and tried to figure stuff out. But um, they definitely realized very quickly that math was my favorite subject to teach, for better or worse. So <laughs> you had excitement when you were. I did. Well, we had um, my seventh graders. When they left, they went to another school um, that was eighth through eighth through tenth grade. And one of my best friends now was teaching there, and they confessed to her in English class in eighth grade. They said, "Oh." Miss Miss uh, Elizabeth, she uh, she always wanted to teach us math all the time. And one day we were like, "Isn't it English time?" And she said, "It's fine. We're doing math in English. We don't need to do English right now." Talking about integration, right? Yeah, I was like, "It's fine." So they knew too that I I preferred to to deal with the numbers rather than read about fixing flat tires. <laughs> right. So it was good. Like, so from then so like on... Just a bunch of passages, like of some short things to teach them the English? Yes. Or, yeah. So, I mean, it was very it was very ESL aligned because they were all learning in their second or third language at that point. Um, and so, and it was fine. It was very practical. I really enjoyed the books, but I mean, it, there wasn't, there was no, no Shakespeare, that's for sure, especially... Mm -hmm. Like maybe seventh grade, we read something a little more like a whole book in, in depth, in depth. But that was about it. It was really mm -hmm. about like learning all the, you know, learning all the words you need to know, the context that you need to know, how to deal with specific situations and, you know, just really trying to get the reality of speaking and reading and writing and listening to English and being able to communicate. So it was uh it was kind of bare bones with that one, but. What a great experience. Um, it was cool. Did you notice a lot of similarities, um, you know, between the educational right. system there and the educational system in Namibia? Did you like, were there more com like commonalities or more differences? As somebody who likes to observe how things work, um, there were a lot of differences, but there were also a lot of similarities. I guess that's like a total cop-out way of describing it. But um, the Namibian system is more British-based than American-based. Um, they have a lot more influence in who helped them set up. Their public education system was more the British system, and also they kind of had that system beforehand anyway. The way people that first came to Namibia were from, what, Germany and... Um, the Netherlands and things like that, and then Great Britain as well. So they have that sort of education system, sort of, they just kind of built on top of that. Um, so they do have things like end of school tests. Um, so my seventh graders, they took their first like really big test to decide whether or not they were good to go to. And, and I think maybe not so much in the cities is that true, but definitely like in the rural communities, you. A lot of kids fail fourth grade because that's where they make the transition from learning in hopefully your native tongue 
to learning every all of your subjects in English and they make this big switch. So a lot of kids end up repeating fourth grade just because that's a huge lift, right? And they also, I mean, one of the reasons Peace Corps was there is they also didn't really have enough. They were working on educating their teacher workforce to get to the point where they could do that heavy lift themselves. Um, but it just comes a lot easier if English is your first language than you know, not where, where everybody is kind of struggling at that level at that time. Sure. So um, that's, I think that's the, the, the biggest thing I noticed was just that sort of relaxedness and then, but I mean, a lot of the things are very much the same, similar courses, like a similar bent on how you teach elementary, you know, like you, you stick with what kids know and what their world around them looks like. And then you kind of like branch outward. Um, it was very interesting in the social studies books. It was obvious that um, when you start referring to, we call them astronauts. And in their social studies book, they were called cosmonauts, which I thought was interesting. And there were a few other things like that too, where you were like, huh, that's not how I was taught history. Interesting, right? Um, but for the most part, it was, you know, school, school everywhere you go. <laughs> it, yeah. looks, it looks very similar in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm curious to see. I know that they ended up having to close school for a while this school year, but I'm I'm curious to know, like, how they were able to continue because, I mean, that was something we did not have. We did not have power, but they also were in much smaller groups, too, so... You know, that whole, if you can keep COVID out of a community, you could still, everybody could still do what they were doing, right? Yeah. And I know they were pretty successful in the beginning. I just haven't really heard recently how things were going. So, but yeah, no, that really sparked my interest in teaching and wanting to go, go further and... And kids are kind of kids, right? Like... They are. Like... Super curious push like, you on certain yeah. things, see what they can get away with, but also like yeah. commonalities in there are more similar than dissimilar. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And they just, you know, they all like to do, I mean, it's the same things as our, our kids here at, and even at Arvada, right? Like what they like to do and what they're interested in. It's, it's all very similar. Mm -hmm. um, it's just different. So after after Namibia, it was Germany and yeah. then Colorado slash Arvada. Yes. Did you teach in Germany too? Mm -mm. I did not teach in Germany. Um, when I lived in Germany, I moved to Germany because um, my husband at the time it was German and he became very ill. And so when we were living in Namibia, and so they basically said, well, you can get treatment in South Africa. It's pretty much the same. But if you're German, you should probably go back to Germany because at least then it'll be free on top of it. And their health system in Southern Africa is more like ours. Like you pay in and then, you know, you get some, but you still have to pay for more. And so they were like, you should go back to Germany. So we moved to Germany uh, for that purpose. And my daughter was born in Germany, but then my husband did die when we were living there. And then um, I stayed though, because Germany has an amazing social system, right? To take care of you. So we stayed until my daughter was about two and a half years old. And then when she was around two, I was like, okay. Um, when my husband was really sick, they, the government made me the primary breadwinner in the family because I was the one that was still capable of working full time. And, but I didn't have to work because I had a child who was a baby, right? So that was, I mean, it was a bad situation, but it was 
pretty awesome. I mean, we don't do that for our people in America at all. Um, so we, I stayed, but then when, when your kid gets to be three, you have to go back to work. Like then you either have to decide, yes, I'm working or no, I'm not working, but I was the only one that could work right at that point. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna have to go back to work. And I was looking at like what sort of jobs were available. And I was like, mm, I don't want to be a translator all day. <laughs> like that does not sound like fun. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely one of the things I was really qualified for was just, you know, I had taken a lot of German classes while I was living there as an immigrant and um, got to know a lot of people and was like going through the courses and passing my language levels. So they were like, yeah, you can work here. It's just like, you know, they still, as an outsider, they'll give the job to a German before an American, right? And I was like, well, that's kind of uncertain. And I also couldn't teach in Germany because I didn't have a master's degree. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to the U.S. and get my master's degree in teaching and see if that's really what I really what I want to do. And definitely it was. So that's why I moved to Colorado because my parents were here and they were like, we'll babysit. Oh, and I was like, cool. Thanks. Yeah. And yeah. I'm so sorry to hear about your first husband, by the, by the way. I oh, thank I, you. I didn't know that. It was a while ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so did you start at Arvada right away when you moved to Colorado? So I started substitute teaching, like I literally got my fingerprints done in Germany at the police station <laughs> and had them sent to Colorado because I knew I was moving to Arvada and um, I started substitute teaching right away, yes. Um, but teaching, like I substitute taught, I took some classes at Metro and then I went and did the Master's Plus program at um, Boulder. So you get your master's degree and your teaching certif certification and you get your student teaching taken care of. Um, so I was at Arvada as a sub. I subbed for Roger Griffin a lot and I subbed for Jamie True a lot and a couple of times for Debbie Bacon. And then, um, yeah, and I really liked it there and I liked the teachers that were working there at the time, but you know, I had to go do my, do my work and get certified. So. I went and did that, and then when I finished um, graduate school, I was looking for a job, and actually the first job I got was at Adams City. And so I worked there for a semester, and while I was there, I kind of got headhunted by a principal in Jefferson County, which is really where I wanted to be, because at that time then my daughter was in first grade, and so I really wanted to be in the same school district that she was in, so we would have you know, the same holidays and we'd have a similar schedule. And so I did take that job at semester. And let me tell you, taking a job at semester is rough, <laughs> especially when you're replacing a beloved teacher oh, yeah. who is still in the building. Oh my goodness. <laughs> doing a different job now. <laughs> and you're just like, okay. The comparison contrast, uh, especially as a new teacher. It was super rough. And it was junior high. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, high school was, I mean, it's your first year of teaching anyway, right? So it's going to be rough, but um, it was just, it was crazy. And so um, just because of the way that things were changing um, at that school and what was going on, like I wasn't even, I didn't even get to um, reapply for my job basically. So then the next year I spent subbing and I worked a long-term sub job in um, Sheridan High School, at Sheridan High School. And then at the end of that school year, then I was offered a part-time job at Arvada High School. Awesome. So. Um, since you've been at Arvada, what are some of the things that you're most proud of? I'm most proud of sticking it out. I think that definitely there have been some real challenges um, 
just with, you know, what expectations are and how those expectations keep changing for teachers and for students. Um, I feel like I entered into teaching at a time when most people were very certain about how things were supposed to go and they went that way and it was but it was still a very steep learning curve for me to get there and then I feel like I got there and the bar moved and the bar keeps moving right um, so I think that's and I think that's true probably in teaching almost anywhere in the U.S. at this point but um, at the same time it was just it was a very um, definitely challenging and some frustration around that but I would say nothing was ever as frustrating or challenging probably as the first year I taught, period, anyway, like in a high school setting in the U.S. with all of the expectations and things like that. So um, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of like some of the work that we've done in the math department to become more consistent and to try and continuously rethink how we can offer the most rigorous math education for our students, but at the same time really meeting them where they are and how they're coming in um, to our school and just trying to continuously work with them and see how we can, how we can make things better and make things apply to them. Um, I guess in the long term too, I'm proud of the relationships that I have with a lot of our students. You know, I always, they're embarrassed by it, but I always feel like it's a good thing when they're looking down and doing something and they raise their hand and say, mom, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, oh, I mean, Kander. And I was like, don't worry, nobody heard you say that. But like, <laughs> but then I'm like, yeah, but then I'm like, oh, we're, com you know, we're comfortable now. Like mm -hmm. things are working, right? So, and, and they'll tease me sometimes too about that as well, but. I think, I think those are the things I'm most proud of. And just like being able to, I mean, again, this year is another year where you're getting to know so many new people, um, but just the relationships that I have with my coworkers and, you know, trying, trying to do what's best for students all the time and, and get there. It's a lot so. to be proud of, uh, and you should be proud. <laughs> Thank um, you. I know that your students speak so highly of you and they are, so often like extremely engaged in your math classes. What are some of the things that you do in those math classes to maintain that high level of engagement for your kids? I try to think about how, how I would want to learn something or you know, what's the most important thing for them to learn about a particular concept or task and try to just put it in you know, kid-friendly language with, but then still introducing all of those parts, the academic parts that they they need to have, right? And saying, look, you may not be able to get, get here now and that's okay, but let's, let's keep trying. Um, I think they are surprised when I get really excited that if they get something right and they're like, but that was just, and they're like, that's it, but that was so easy. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> right? Um, I get really, I don't know, I, I get really excited about their, um, you know, when you get to see the light go on, right? Like, and they're like, oh, it's just like that. Yes, that's it. Well, that was easy. That's what I was telling you, <laughs> right? But you're like, not until they get there, do they, do they get it? Um, I mean, I try to apply things to real life, but again, at the same time, I think my approach to math too is that it's a language and in order to be, you know, even fluent so that you can talk to some people, 
you need to just keep trying and practicing and falling on your face. And um, I think I bring a lot of my my personal experience with learning language to to the math class. Um, and even though they don't pay attention to a lot of my stories, because then I'll mention something later and they're like, you did what? <laughs> I don't know, yeah, I told you guys that three days ago. Remember, I told you that story? Oh, okay. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you weren't paying attention. That's fine. I know. Um, but just that whole concept of when I was thinking about, you know, as a, as a person who's highly educated, right, having a bachelor's degree or a master's degree and wanting your language to be at that high level that it, like, the other language that you're trying to speak. So I speak German and I'm pretty much bilingual, mm -hmm. but just in that learning process, like being like, well, this is really what I want to say, but having no way to translate and get there and just being like, but I have to get this thing done. So I'm just gonna throw up all these words that I do know that have to do with this thing and see if I can make myself understood, right? And I think that that's, um, that's kind of like what I try to get kids to be comfortable with in math class. It's just to say, look, you know this, you know this, you know this, and it doesn't matter if it makes perfect sense, mm -hmm. you know, now, why don't we, why don't we just throw out all the things we know? And then that's my job as a teacher is to be like, yep, yep, we'll use this. And then, mm, nope. Okay. So if we have these two and they go together, how does, what are you going to do next now that you have these other two things? Right. So really just kind of applying that the, you concept, know, that, the like, concept you have to um, be comfortable with making mistakes and that's yes. okay if you're trying and like you're figuring it out that's what learning is about right absolutely absolutely and trying not to make them feel like they're being penalized mm -hmm. for it um, you know they they used to tease me all the time like when they asked me to do something in class and I would say a lot of times my answer would be maybe and they're like that means no doesn't it and I was like well it means maybe but you're probably right <laughs> but when they talk to, but that's like that's like social stuff right but when they're talking math i'll be like nope you're wrong <laughs> and they and they're like oh okay and i was like no that's that's not that's cool now you know that doesn't work let's keep going right don't you want to know it doesn't what doesn't work okay but i just want the nope nope we're gonna keep going you're gonna get the answer it's that feedback it's the it's knowing that there's like this high bar that you have to keep keep going and keep persevering because there is in math mm -hmm. more often than not like there is a solution and that solution is has to be accurate and has to be specific right yeah but there's more than one way to get there too i mean i just had right. a good experience with kids in class the other day and they were like so we didn't solve it you you gave us some examples of ways to start and we didn't use any of those and i was like awesome what did you do? And they were like, so we looked it up and we used, we think we used calculus. And I was like, ooh, show me your work. <laughs> like awesome. I was so excited, right? Yeah. I was like, yeah, no, that's fine. Cause I was like, and, I mean, solving the problem was, wasn't the point of the activity anyway. It was like the working together part and mm. figuring it out together part. And I was like, as long mm. as you guys both understand how this worked, because yes, there, you know? is, there is a solution, but like right. you're 100% right. Like all the different ways that you could possibly get there, that is where yep. like the most, like the biggest crux of learning and math happens, right? It's like figuring this out. It's like the authentic problem solving piece. Like that kind of leads into the next question, you know, like 
So most of the other departments are project-based, but math is problem-based, meaning like there's smaller things that you're doing with like, um, you know, trying to provide them with this opportunity to figure something out and struggle with something and, and whatnot. Do you have some favorite problems or a favorite problem that you um, find yourself using quite often that you find a lot of success with? I mean, I can think of one for geometry class that went really well last year. Um, and I'm going to use it again this year, but I'm like, as far as things that I've used, I, I keep changing things so many times and just the structure of what's important about this problem that we're working on. So I would say I don't really have a favorite yet. Um, this one in particular though in geometry is it builds on the things that they should have learned in algebra class and then it applies it, there's some geometry application to it, right? So there's a road and you have to draw the line of the road that goes through a point that's a certain distance away from the road, right? So you're using coordinate geometry and things like that. Um, and uh, But it's really building on stuff that they should know. And for some reason, this particular problem and the picture that we we have for it, it just clicks with kids. And there's so many different ways to solve it. And I mean, we definitely had kids that were like, oh, this is the equation of the line that goes through this point done. You know, and then we had kids that were like, extended the graph, extended the line, like used their knowledge of graphing to figure out, oh, if I continue the line on, it's going to go through here and this is the slope. And okay, now I can write the equation of the line. So um, it, and then there were kids that kind of like used another another way to deal with the situation too that I thought was really interesting. It was much more like pictorial and they kind of like guessed and checked their way through the whole thing. And I was like, okay, you can do that. But it just, um, I think it was last year when we used this problem, it, it really, it really highlighted that there are a lot of different ways to approach something and that, that yes, there is a right answer, but there are a lot of different ways to get there. And, um, you know, we're going to kind of meet you where you're at, but then also you did learn something last year, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, you get to spiral hey, that knowledge. That yes. There was more of a reason to learn it than just that test from last year. Exactly. Right? By now the way, it, and you're doing it in a way that there are so many different approaches. Right. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I like that one. Mm-hmm. That was good, but let me know when you do it. I want to. Okay. Um, Don't know how that's going to look all online, but okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll work on it. <laughs> How would you promote the most equitable education for all of your students? That's interesting. Every kid's different, right? Every kid has a story, just like we all do. Um, I think I think the better we get to know our students, the better we can serve them. I think to having a standard and having a a bar that they do have to reach without without moving it is also really important for our students um, because I've you know I've seen the look in their eyes when they do they do get the you know they they reach the point that they're supposed to reach and they're like I didn't think I could maybe get here and I just got here and you're like yep cool huh I knew you could do that mm-hmm. um, so I think I think that's that's an important part to listen to them, to listen to their stories, to let them 
I, I, I do like our problem-based learning in that there's more choice involved. I think in math class it's, you know, it's choice between this problem or this problem, like not this social topic or this social topic, which may be more interesting to them, but at least they have some, some um, ability to choose um, and some way to, you know, dictate what, what they're going to learn um, or not learn, right? Um, I think, yeah, I think we just need to be really, really thoughtful about, about the process and, and where we're at. And I think that there are a lot of good changes coming. I think that teachers, when given the time, are like that's at least at our school something that's really important to them and they just need more resources and more time to think about how to how to really meet our students and get them where they're at um yeah and then some of it's you know some of it too it's like with the covid world i mean i think we've definitely seen some some holes in our society and where where we you know it's more of a like look in the mirror this is you thought you looked like this, but this is really what you look like right now, right? Um, and I feel like right now in our society too, we're coming to a reckoning about what do we what do we want to look like as Americans, and what what do we really value, and um, what we say we value is that what really what what we value? Um, and I think we're being holded held accountable um, by our youth. Um, and and by our communities too to say you know this is this is what you say is important but then this is what you do mm -hmm. those two things don't go together can you walk the walk right right and and, and that's hard because sometimes that challenges how it's, things have been right and, like and it's uncomfortable thought. but yeah. i've always been like i've always been a big believer in to lead by example and like that i would never ask my students to do something that i wasn't willing to do myself mm -hmm. um and so i think i think that resonates with a lot of them although when you're an adult and you're teaching teenagers you know it's a it's a very it's a very different place to be right when you can look back on all of the challenges that you've had over many years and whereas our students are they're learners and they're learning for the first time you know i one of the things i really enjoy about teaching high school but it also amuses me to no end is like the first thing that happens to a kid like the first time they ask somebody out and they say yes or you know um just like the first time they win at a sport that they've been really trying hard at and like how how they're like this just happened and i'm like yes this happens yes. right you're like yes <laughs> this is the result of these like ideas of like perseverance right and, like trying and like right and you're like it Yay. produces such like so much more confidence you know like see them growing into mm -hmm. something that they is that Didn't a Dar Williams song? Teenagers kick our butts. Probably. <laughs> yes, I think there's a song by Dar Williams, and it's like, and like how you get to watch them grow, and oh. yeah, yeah, no. So I, know, I, I used like, to teach elementary school too, and high school is such a different, such a different game, world, and the development at the high school level is just so profound. It's, it is. It it's is awesome. It is. I mean, they grow so much when they're little too, but it's in mm -hmm. a very in a very different way mm -hmm. usually mm -hmm. right and Still, much uh, more much more predictable in a lot of yeah. ways and, and like 
more innocent, you mm-hmm. know, and like high school, it's like they're being challenged with a lot of, like, yeah. they have to grapple with a lot more hard things, mm-hmm. you know, because they're learning to become a p- a, more a person, yeah. like a person. Um, you mentioned the COVID situation, um, which has also had such a, a change on our like current way that we are doing things. And right. you've been doing a lot of remote teaching. Right. Um, any anything that you've learned recently about it are you um any advice that you might have for people as we're sort of like figuring this out right now i think the thing the best thing that's come out of it is i feel like i really do have students who really now value their education and for me as a teacher it's about making our time as short as it is or making their assignments as valuable to them as possible Um, And I think so it's really helped me focus in on what's most important about the particular whatever subject I'm teaching, if it's econ or, you know, pre-calc or geometry, like, you know, the essential learnings, obviously, and we always talk about that, but you can kind of get bogged down in things. And so now I'm like, okay, what is the most important thing, you know, four things that you need from this semester and how am I going to get you there? And how are you going to feel like your time is being used in a valuable sort of way? And I feel like with the upperclassmen, I think we're, we're getting there. Like there's this live, level of um, trust between us that I think is, you know, like you have enough conversations with them either on Zoom or just in the emails and things like that. Or, you know, luckily I'm totally resting on my laurels with my econ class because I know like 25 out of 30 of them, right? And they've had me before, so I am... And you said Nick has put together some awesome stuff. Oh my gosh, Nick has everything. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a matter of how am I going to make this online user-friendly or can I still use this or do I actually need to change a lot of it in order to fix, you know, fit the format now. But, um, and I think too, because I'm kind of curating his, all of his things, Plus, the students trust him as a teacher, and they trust me as a teacher, so they're like, okay, I'm going to do what she tells me because I think she knows what she's doing, which is cool. I hope so. We'll see. So that's the benefit there of like already having the pre-established yeah, relationship. Yeah, so that's totally cheating because that's not good advice because <laughs> like, work on your relationships with students, and after 10 years <laughs> yeah. in the building, the, the you may be able to, right, yeah. and then teach the same ones over and over <laughs> so that they know your systems, and it's really easy. Um, but I like your, I, I really like your advice about like prioritizing and like finding the most value in the time right. that you have with them because it is more limited this year, obviously. Yes, yeah, definitely, and 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 their time too is is valuable, right? Like it's not about seat time; it's about can you learn this concept and can you apply it most of the time, right? So, you know, a lot of students. It's just, it's just a matter of how, how am I going to get you there? And some of them need a lot more and some of them need very little. And, um, that's cool. Let's, let's just all get there eventually together. Right. Um, again, though, I think I do need to work on how I'm going to communicate because the emails are, it's kind of intense. What are your big goals for this year? I hope to like get geometry to a place where hopefully I can let it go and give it to other people. Like, I think we're in a process now of where I'm like, okay, I don't think I need to 
I mean, I love teaching it. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, I think we're in a place now where we've established the routine and the structure. And again, the, you know, boiling down of what's really essential and that what the kids need to learn and a couple of different approaches to get there. So I'm curious to like continue to try that out. But I think trying to get that curriculum to a place where I can let it go maybe next year and do something else. Mm -hmm. um, like switch the focus to a different course? Yeah. Yeah. Like go teach algebra one again or something like that. You know, like it would be fine. I just feel like uh, traditionally in at Arvada High School, usually you only teach the same class for about three or four years in a row. And then we would rotate through. And um, because we are smaller now, that hasn't happened as much. Um, but I think that that aspect as a professional is really good for our growth. And, you know, I switched when the kids who were their seniors now, I taught them algebra one and I taught them geometry because I, I moved up with them. And so now they're seniors. So I was like, okay, so now this is my third year teaching again. I taught geometry when I first came to the school too, like nine years ago. But, um, you know, I can let it go. It's fine. I can teach something else. The only class I've never really taught an entire year of is algebra two actually. Like I've never taught that course to completion. I taught first semester because I did it as a student teacher. And then I taught it the one semester I taught in Commerce City. I taught first semester of Algebra 2 again, but then I left. So I was like, um, I've never actually taught an entire year of this class ever. I don't know. So like there's almost like this missing puzzle piece. I know. I kind of feel like I need to go do it just to do, you know, as a professional, you're like, I haven't done that. Well, I need I'm sure to do you that. Excel at it. So oh, I think thank you. If you can but the goal, yeah, I guess the goal is to, I know, let the geometry go and I don't know, just be, hopefully be successful with econ, you know, economics. So I mean, because like excited. It's exciting. It's interesting. Yeah. I love that the kids are like, well, it's money and math. And I was like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I love econ too. I've never taught it, but I love learning it. No pressure on this question. I know you've been thinking about it a little bit. What's been your best failure? I know, you have to ask the best failure question. <laughs> so I'm gonna turn this around and say, I'm sure that I have had many good failures, but I was thinking about this too. I was like, well, why can't I think of one? And I think it's because of just the way that my, my, my attitude about life in general. And so even when something is a complete failure, I very quickly don't think of it that way. So it's just hard to find best failure or a failure, like, you know, cause I'm like, well, yeah, that was, but, but then I learned this out of it and then I moved on and then so what's something that, that was you, good. like uh, an experience where you had a, a big learning experience then? Well, because I'm a math teacher, right? So most te math teachers are sort of socially awkward beings, right? So I think that probably some of my best growth, growth has come socially. Um, and just learning from experience of... I think one of the hardest things when you get to a certain age and all of a sudden you're like, it's no longer hard anymore. But when you're in your teens and your twenties and even into your thirties, when you're faced with like a major societal conflict or something that isn't right, but you've never had to deal with it yourself as a person, right? It's very 
it's very challenging and it's definitely something that you want to just kind of like be like maybe if I ignore it, it'll go away or I can just walk away from this and not make not make that solid decision you know um and so I think probably the best like learning I've had over time is just to be like you know what decide what's right and then stick up for it and no matter no matter the no matter the cost because I mean in the end what is the cost I think a lot of the things I've done recently like I think about my my children at home and our students as well and I'm like what side of what side of this do I want them to see me on and this is the side I choose and so and so things have even though the world is like the older you get the less black and white things become there are definitely times when you just have to be like nope I'm picking a side and this is this is where I'm staying mm -hmm. to really like push yourself about your ethics and morals I guess yep. yeah big advice for others big advice to a former Elizabeth Kantner or <laughs> a former Elizabeth a, other co other colleagues new new teachers in this world I would say just do your best that you can every day and you know don't take things too too hard or too personally I think that's that's the best one I can I mean you know every day is different and some days you just some days you shine and other days you're like I showed up <laughs> that's it right <laughs> and then and that's that's all you can do that day and but you showed up so that's something um and i think too like the older you get the easier it is to to be pretty transparent about like what you said about your failures or you're just like oh i'll own that i did that like i don't even you know yep like you kind of am almost emotionally divested now sometimes from from things where i'm just like oh yeah i'll own that yeah because it makes it easier on everybody right and you're like okay that's fine. <laughs> Great advice. Um, Elizabeth, uh, thank you for being a rock star teacher. Um, like I said earlier, your kids like greatly respect you um, and they really thoroughly enjoy learning math from you. It's not always the easiest subject um, to get a lot of excitement around, but I feel like you um, have a great magic touch to make that happen. Um, I also really respect you for holding such an importance in, with rigor in your classroom. I feel like that's a conversation that you're always having and you're always having it with your department, you're always having it with your students, like making sure that that work is, is, is grade level um, and they're really pushing themselves to do the higher level math as much as possible and not circumvent that through other things. Um, but thank you so much for your time here and it has been great talking with you today. You're welcome, thanks. Thank you all for tuning into today's podcast. I want to encourage you to take a minute to reach out to today's guest and make a personal connection. Until next time, this has been Jeremy Jensen with Who's Behind the Bulldog. <laughs>